And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is uh, Wednesday. It's the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show as we kind of plow through the week, of course, last night. Earnings from Microsoft and Google, better than expected. And of course, uh, those stocks both taking a nice little leap this morning. Uh, the question is, is it going to be enough to help the markets recover from that sell-off that we had yesterday on the back of news from UPS that, well, maybe things in the economy are, are getting weaker. A very big dichotomy, of course, between technology and transportation, kind of what's happening within the economy itself. and. Trying to, you know, everybody's trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean? Who's right? Is, or, you know, are we going to have a recession? Or does Microsoft and Google suggest that maybe things are better, right? And, you know, so far in earnings season, as we've said before, earnings aren't terrible. Unless you compare them to where they were when the estimates first started back in May, where we lowered them from, you know, almost $50 a share. But yes, companies are beating earnings. But is that really telling us a lot about the strength of the economy? And really kind of where the markets are. But again, yesterday, kind of interesting, we talked about uh, yesterday morning, we published the article on our website talking about sell in April and go away, maybe instead of make, maybe moving it up a little bit. Well, we published that that before the the market opened yesterday. And of course, since then, markets sold off almost 2% on the NASDAQ yesterday, uh, about one and almost uh, one and a half percent or so on the S&P. So a pretty decent sell-off yesterday. Took out the 20-day moving average. Uh, that puts the 50-day moving average as the next level of support here. Um, clearly, MACD sell signals are in place now. So that sell-off yesterday definitely registered the, the MACD sell signal. Our money flow indicator also in negative territory as well. So that does suggest that even if we get a little bit of a rally today from Microsoft and Google, the question is going to be, is it sustainable? And, you know, it could be. But, you know, as we've seen before, earnings earnings days can provide, you know, bounces in the markets. And, and don't be surprised today. Markets are going to be up. NASDAQ, of course, will be leading the way, probably up over 1%. The S&P, not as much. And that's kind of an interesting issue here. Yesterday, again, markets were down pretty sharply. So even if we get a rally today of where the market opens and it stays there all day, that won't even recover what we lost yesterday, right? But importantly, um, it goes down to the fact that we have very few stocks that are actually driving the markets. The top five stocks in the market right now make up almost 20% of the index, and that is, is, is a real issue with index construction. When you have five stocks that make up almost a fifth of the entire index. So of course, if those stocks move, they're gonna move the whole index with them. But what does that say about the rest of the companies in the index, right? How much of that is gonna be a drag or a support to the index going forward. And again, we have Apple this week, we've got Meta this week. So by the end of the week, we're gonna have basically four of the top five stocks have all reported earnings. Um, and we'll have a, a good impact about where we are relative to you know, expectations, future growth, et cetera. But you know, the one thing that does have people excited this morning, margins, at least for tech companies, tend to be holding up here. So you know, one of the big concerns was that profit margins were going to crash and we were going to have a very big downturn in, in profit margins. And we're still getting pressure in margins. Don't, don't mistake that, right? 
margins are coming down. They're just not coming down in a unorderly fashion because, well, the economy is still kind of hanging in there. And that's, and that's really the big issue, right? Is that you take a look at employment, employment data is not terrible. Housing prices actually, or home activity, housing activity, I should say, actually ticked up last month. So we're still seeing some activity in the economy. This, this whole you know, idea that the economy is come crashing down into, into the abyss is not really coming out to be the case. So a lot of that negative sentiment that got built up into the market is being reversed and that's helping giving some lift to the markets. And that's providing some support here, which is, you know, kind of runs contra uh, a bit to a lot of the economic data that we're seeing coming out. Again, UPS's report yesterday was a good example of that. But you can, you can, you know, contradict that one with Chipotle Mexican Group, which is now, you know, unarguably the most expensive burrito on the planet. They traded over six times price to sales right now. So, you know, one side of the, of the ledger says, well, the retail investor, the retail consumer is doing fine, right? They're out buying burritos at Chipotle, but they're not shipping as much stuff, according to UPS, and that's hurting them. So what is actually going, that, and see, this is the big debate within the markets, and this is a big debate within the economy, because you have these pockets of strength that are driven by retail consumption, but you have broader economic weakness, as shown by manufacturing indexes, et cetera. And again, one, one time, you know, kind of one point in time that we can go back and look at a similar situation was back in 2011, 2012. And we had a manufacturing recession. There was, there was a very deep slowdown in the manufacturing side of the economy, but the retail services side of the economy was doing fine. And this is kind of that similar situation we had back then. Now, you know, if we go back to that point in time, right, we had a lot of money that was injected into the economy, quantitative easing, of course, coming out of the financial crisis. Um, you know, there was a lot of support there, HAMP, HARP, all these different types of programs we set up for to help kind of bail out the economy, right? And so that kept that that kept activity going in the economy, even though the manufacturing side of the business slowed down, and then that slump eventually recovered. But the retail side, the services side of the of the economy remained well intact. And this is kind of that similar situation here, where we see this real slowdown in manufacturing and economic data. But the services side of the economy seems to be doing okay. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that that $5 trillion worth of stimulus that was sent into the economy is still there. It's still working through the system. It's going to take a while. But the question is, is can that time frame be long enough for this economic slump in the manufacturing side of our economy to play catch up with the services side? and get the economy back on track. And so this is the hope for that kind of that soft landing scenario in the economy. And you see a lot of references back to that kind of 2011, 2012 era, um, where we had a very similar kind of soft landing in the economy without it actually slipping into a recession. So, you know, but again, this is, this is gonna be the big challenge as we go through later parts of this year. That question of recession is still hanging out there with the Fed, particularly set to hike rates on the 5th of May. That's gonna be another weight on the growth of the economy. So again, you know, how long can the economy withstand 
these higher rates? How long can the economy withstand these pressures that are put on the economy? Of course, as that monetary surplus that was in the economy gets extracted. This is going to be the big challenge this year for markets and, and for the economy. We'll see what happens. But right now, again, markets are doing okay, but we are on the sell signal. So again, take some profits here. Use today's rally. If you didn't, if you kind of missed uh, the report yesterday, didn't take any profits yesterday, you're going to get a chance today with a rally. So we'll see, you know, how that how this continues to work out. But typically, um, you know, when we get these sell signals, people assume that that immediately means a huge crash in the markets. Markets are going to, you know, oh, it's a sell signal. Markets are going to go down 10%. Not necessarily. Uh, we can go through these sell signals with markets just trading sideways. Yes, they generally correct some. We've had a very big market advance here recently. We've got to correct some of that overbought condition. But again, that can be that doesn't ha doesn't have to mean a very large decline, just a decline. So take some profits, rebalance some risk in your portfolios. Uh, you know, raise a little bit of cash here, and then as we get through kind of this period of weakness, which could last for a couple of months then we can put that capital back to work. Okay, lots of stuff to get into this morning, so stick around, more of The Real Investment Show. It's the Hump Day Edition. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be. And knowing how health insurance works after you leave your job is vital. Our next Lunch and Learn will tackle transitioning to Medicare. Thursday, May 11th with Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso. How will Medicare work with the insurance you already have? What are the deadlines you need to know for signing up for Medicare? Register now for our Transitioning to Medicare Lunch and learn with Ratliff and Rosso at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show So interesting uh, story out this morning. You know, back in the 60s, late 50s, 60s, when we were in the midst of the space race. You know, we had to get a, a rocket into space, and Russia, of course, had launched Sputnik. And there was this big push um, under the Kennedy administration to get a man to the moon. And, you know, it's an amazing story. There's, there's a, a lot of movies out about you know, the space race and, and getting people to, to the moon. And, and what was amazing about all this is that it was a bunch of guys sitting around NASA with slide rules and calculators that didn't have the benefit of computers to like we have today, right? And they figured out how to get a man to land on the moon. And it's interesting now that, you know, here we are just recently, SpaceX launched, you know, one of its new rockets that, Kind of, it blew up in orbit. It was a successful launch, but the, the rocket blew up. And you learn from mistakes. You know, everybody was kind of making fun of, of Elon Musk because they were saying, he's like, oh, it was a successful, uh, you know, it was a successful test. It was, right? They got it off the, the launch pad. Yeah, the rocket blew up. But you learn a lot from mistakes, right? That's, <laughs> you kind of want to have your mistakes when they're not manned. That's the important thing. 
But what's fascinating to me about this is what happened to the technology that we developed to get people to the moon? Because we've already done this, right? And so here we are redeveloping the technology that we had already developed. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of like lost in space. And it was just interesting today because there's a, an article out this morning, Japan's iSpace uh, shares are now crashing. Their lunar lander failed uh, to land on the moon. It, it basically went into free fall towards the planet. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just fascinating to me. It's like, we, we've done this, we've been there. We've had all this technology, and people did it with slide rules and calculators. And you know, the 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 rocket that took our astronauts into space had the memory of a TI calculator, right? And then, you know, we're just—it's—it's it's a phenomenal story. And if you haven't ever taken time to go watch some of the movies and, and read up a bit on what these guys did, um, it's quite fascinating. But it's just interesting to me is that we're having to redevelop all this technology today to do the same mission back to the moon that we've already done. I'm just curious where it all went. So it's got to be there somewhere. It seems like there's some old dusty manuals in the back of the NASA library <laughs> that has all the secrets on it. <laughs> right. It's written in cursive so nobody can read it. That's the problem. <laughs> my uh, my four-year-old grandson yep. was complaining about a card that his Nana had sent up. He said he couldn't read it because the, the letters all slid together. Yeah. Cursive. Cursive, yeah. yes. It's a, it's a cursive and manual stick shifts. Oh, yeah. They are the bane of the existence of the millennials. Great so. theft deterrent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Used to back in the day, you had to have that thing on your steering uh, wheel. The, the bar. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Now you just have a manual stick shift yeah. and they can steal it. <laughs> so anyway, um, Sorry, I digressed. But we'll we'll get back to work. Just I just find it interesting that we're having to redevelop all this technology again. Anyway, um, so as we as we as I said uh, last night, we have had both uh, Microsoft and Google announce earnings uh, today. We've got uh, Align Technologies, ADP, Boeing is going to be one of the big another big kind of industrial component. What does that tell us about the economy? Um, Boston Scientific, uh, Meta this afternoon after the bell. Of course, that'll be the big one. Uh, Roku, uh, ServiceNow, Teladoc all reporting today. So it, it's a very long list of companies reporting today. I, in fact, you know, in our daily market commentary, which is on the website, we send that out every morning at 730. Um, I had to actually cut the list off. I couldn't get all <laughs> I couldn't get all of the earnings on the page because it was just too long. Uh, but we're in the we're right in the midst of this, as I said before. By May the fifth, when the Fed announces interest rates, we'll have roughly about eighty eight percent of the S and P five hundred will have already reported. So we're going to have a big chunk of earnings between this week and next week by the time the Fed uh, hikes rates on the fifth. So again, we're going to have a good feel for what earnings season looks like. And, and and again, so far this is, you know, but again, this is the game of the markets. This is the game of the markets. So markets have declined last year. Earnings estimates came down, right? We said that earnings were about $232 a share back in June, and now they're $171 a share. So big decline in earnings estimates. And so now companies are beating estimates. Why is Microsoft up so much today? Well, yes, they beat earnings, but they also announced an expansion of what? Stock buybacks. This has been the sole tool for companies continuing 
A, to beat earnings by lowering the number of shares outstanding, which is how we compare earnings, right? Earnings per share. But also this idea of the markets that, hey, you know what? They're buying back their stock, so they must think this, the stock is cheap, so I'm going to go buy it too, right? So it's, it's the psychological impact. Of course, it's also providing an artificial buyer of the stock in the markets. Companies are buying back shares. Who actually benefits from share buybacks? Insiders. They're predominantly the ones that are selling their share grants to the company in terms of the share buyback. I mean, nobody sends you a letter saying, hey, would you like to share your sell, share your, sell your shares? I'll spit that out. Back to us. You know, here's a letter from Microsoft. We're doing a stock buyback. You don't get that letter, right? You just know that they're buying back shares and somehow it magically happens. But that's been a big boost, as we've talked about before. That's been about 40% of the advance of the market since 2011 has been primarily from stock buybacks. X buybacks, the market would not be trading where it's trading. But again, when Apple reports their earnings, they will also most likely, there's no guarantees, of course, I'm just guessing, but most likely they're going to announce additional share buybacks. And again, it's just a big, it's, it's become a very big, important component of the markets. In fact, <clears throat> when, you know, over the course of the last several years, buybacks have accounted for almost 100% of the net purchases of stocks. So again, it's an incredibly important source of buying for the markets. And it keeps prices elevated. And companies like Microsoft, Apple, Google, Meta, those stocks make up roughly 30% of the entire index, the top 10. So every dollar that goes into an S&P index fund, as an example, 30 cents of that dollar, every time you buy an S&P 500 ETF, 30 cents of every dollar you put in goes to those top 10 companies. Same thing for the NASDAQ. It's a little bit, little bit heavier weighting in the NASDAQ. But this is just some of the distortions of the market that's also confusing, right? Stock buybacks are supporting asset prices, and market cap weighting is affecting the function of the market. This passive indexing effect also is an impact. And so this is the frustrating part about managing money. And this is also the frustrating part when you're listening to, you know, podcasts on, on, you know, YouTube or whatever, or reading articles that, you know, we're going to have this terrible recession and all these things. And, and, and look, I'm not saying we're not going to have a recession, but this is the frustrating part because the market's doing much better than what the economic data suggests it should be doing. And there's a lot of expectation that we're going to have this very deep recession, that there's another big leg down, and so you better be long, you know, a lot of gold, as an example. The problem is that markets don't always do that. And what we're looking at now is a very interesting situation because the markets are doing much better than you should expect them to do. They're doing better than I should expect them to do. And it's a very tough place to be in terms of managing money because again there's the inherent conservative bias that is my nature by nature i'm not a risk taker 
it's very hard for me to take risk, especially with other people's money, right? But that's the part that you have to set aside when managing money, and you've got to dig down and look at, okay, here's the fundamentals, here's the technicals, and what is all, how, how do you mix all this together? And it's a very challenging environment. And so this is, the, this is the challenge that we have to try to figure out is what is the market telling us versus what is happening economically? And again, we, again you know, we can make plenty of bearish cases, right? That's, you know, the bearish case is extremely easy to make, right? The Fed's still hiking rates. The vast majority of those rate hikes are not reflected in the economy yet. The economy is going to slow down. Consumer, you know, consumer delinquencies are rising. Bank lending standards are tightening. Leading indicators are negative. All of it says, all of that says you're going to have a recession and a fairly deep one. But the market's still doing okay. Markets really haven't gone anywhere since April of last year. We're about where we were a year ago. So the entire, and what that says is basically the entirety of the correction that we had last year was confined in the first three months of the year. That was pretty much it. And of course, that's the, the 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 interesting part, right? Because I thought we were supposed to have this big bear market, but what happened to it? And that's the challenge, right? I mean, you know, every week I do an interview on on Fox Business, and every week we ask these same questions, and every week we still don't have answers. <laughs> But this is, this is the part we've got to work through. And the part of that is trying to set, and as we've talked about before, setting those emotions aside and, and, and being convicted to a particular idea. Friday, I've got an, that article I've been talking about for a while called Conviction. will be out on the, on the website on Friday. I encourage you to read it because it talks a lot about this idea of being convicted to a set of ideas and ignoring what the market is trying to tell you. All right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so an interesting article out in the wall street journal this morning talking about communication misfires particularly in the workplace. And I find it interesting because of two reasons. One, you know, the problem is, is I'm old school, right? Uh, you know, Brent and I grew up in the, you know, 1900s. And does that make you feel old? Does that make you feel old? You know, I was talking about this last night. We had a, a client dinner and we were talking about that very same thing. It's like, you know, you're talking to your kids. And, and this is like when you were in the 1900s and you talk about people in the 1800s, right? It's right. like, oh, wow. <laughs> that, that was really old back then. But yeah, so back in the 1900s when Brent and I were growing up, you know, there was this. It was expected for you to have a little bit tougher skin, right? You know, your boss would yell at you. 
give you direction and you said, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And you did whatever you were supposed to do. And there wasn't this whole thing of everybody getting offended and everything else. You just did your job. You went to work, did your job. You did the best job you could and you got paid and you went home. That's, you know, that's the way that we were raised. And, you know, when I was growing up, that's was the expectation. You know, my expectation growing up was never to own my own businesses. That, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my whole goal when I went to college was I wanted to be a middle manager at Coca-Cola. That was it. That was my dream job, right? I didn't even want to be an upper manager. I just wanted to be middle management at Coca-Cola. I thought that'd be the coolest job ever. And free Cokes. And for that, that was the only reason I wanted to work there. There you go. Yeah. Of course, that didn't work out. <laughs> they didn't hire me. Of course, I didn't apply either. But I, I got, you know, I, you know <laughs> just because I didn't apply didn't mean they couldn't have reached out, right? I'm offended. You could have been the one. <laughs> they missed out. Uh, but no, I mean, life took a different direction. I, I wound up, you know, and through my martial arts, you know, background and, you know, competing overseas, I wound up, you know, meeting other people and life took a different direction. I wound up in the financial services industry. That's a whole story for another show. Um, <laughs> it's a very long and windy one. <laughs> Next week. Uh, but, but the interesting thing is, is, is that now, you know, it's, you know, everybody's so sensitive. Everybody's, you know, so, you know, kind of burnt, almost overwhelmed in a lot of degrees. And it was interesting, the study. So it's a new study from, from Corn Ferry Research. I always wonder why they named themselves Corn Ferry. I just... All kinds of images come to mind. I, I know. It's spelled corn, K with a K. K-O-R-N, yes. Corn Ferry. They found that communication... I mean, it just says, you know, the name Corn Ferry just doesn't ring to me as a research and intelligence firm, which is what they do. They do surveys and things like this. But it's a great title for a horror film. I know. Children of the Corn Ferry. There I mean, go. right there. <laughs> A new study from the executive search corn fairy of the, of the field um, <laughs> found that communication misfires have helped to make some work relationships less pleasant and collegial. Among 357 professionals that were surveyed in recent weeks, nearly half said that remote work made it easier for colleagues. Now, here's the, here's the key line that, that I find interesting. Made it easier for colleagues to get away with rude behavior, such as interrupting on phone calls and not returning emails. <sighs> Shocker, right? That's rude. You didn't return my email. How rude. Well, did you actually ask me a question? I get emails every day from people that make statements. I don't answer those. If you're telling me something, I'm not going to respond to you. If you ask me a question, I'll respond to you. Of course, I should learn this from my wife because she says stuff to me all the time and I don't respond. She says, see, you never listen to me. I was like, you didn't ask for, you didn't ask for a response. You just told me something. Rude behavior. Rude. So rude. Anyway, remote work has accentuated colleagues' different communication habits. And this, you know, and, and the thing is, is, is you think about it now, right? You've got Zoom. And I mean, I don't, you know, we call everything Zoom, right? Even though half the time it's Teams or it's some other form of video communication, we call it, you know, got to have a Zoom meeting. Um, <clears throat> you know, 200, there's 280 million active monthly users on Teams. It's, you know, just, it's everywhere. But they're zooming, but there's but yeah they're zooming. But the, the point is is that now that's become an integral part of relationships, right? And 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 having meetings and doing these things is like oh we just jump on Teams and 
you can just sit at your desk and, and have this meeting. But, you know, this goes back to the, the conversation that we had with Sam Zell uh, yesterday. We we're talking about, you know, his, his recent comments about this is that, you know, you have less productivity. He says when you're in person in a conference room and you're sharing ideas and having that, that presence there, that's when, that's when real work begins because when you're present – you have to be paying attention. You have to be engaged. You know, when you're on a, a Teams meeting, you just turn your video off and you're actually walking around the house in your underwear or playing with the kids, whatever you're doing. And every now and then you just kind of pipe up and say something just to let people know you're there, right? That's, that's what he was talking about, being less productive. But it's also kind of interesting that, you know, it's now become a function of people becoming offended, Right. And they're hiding behind these screens in order to not be offended or not be pressured. But in reality, what it is, they're also avoiding the responsibility. And this, this has a direct impact back on productivity. And I think one of the things that we're going to find out is that, and again, we're already, we, we will see this, right? There, there is a, a very big movement right now by a lot of companies to get people back in the office. And I think that movement's going to continue because of the lack of productivity. Google uh, just reported earnings yesterday. And while they beat earnings estimates, they are now very focused on cost and efficiencies. They have also started requiring people to start coming back into the office for productivity reasons. And so there's, you know, there's, there's always this kind of very interesting fine line between productivity and being efficient and working and convenience. And we're starting to see this younger generation that's coming up. They want more of the convenience, but it's having an impact on productivity. And this is, and this is also the, the interesting thing about AI. Over the years, we've talked about the rise of technology. And one of the ongoing debates has, has been, it's like, oh, well, it's okay, right? If technology comes in and, and you know, improves productivity, that's okay. Because those people that lose their jobs to technology, for whatever it is, will go on and do other things in the economy, and they'll make more money, right? They'll be more productive. And that's not really been the case. If we take a look at long-term trends and wage growth and, and economic activity, et cetera, it's not been higher. It's been lower. And we're seeing a larger and larger percentage of Americans that are being displaced by technology that aren't moving up the ladder. They're just being displaced. And we say that when, and we justify this by saying, well, it's okay, right? Because, you know, we now have robotic brick layers. So now we, now somebody doesn't have to go lay bricks. We've got a robot that will, will lay the bricks. Okay. It's a blue collar job. We don't care about that. It's a very important job, by the way. You don't, <laughs> people made a lot of money being brick masons. Now a robot takes that job. So now what's that brick mason supposed to do? Are they going to become the, the robot manufacturers? Probably not. So now we've got artificial intelligence coming in. There was a very interesting commercial out yesterday <clears throat> about AI. And it was showing a, a music producer and a music video producer. And the artificial intelligence was doing all the editing for him. 
and I'm looking at Brent as I'm saying this. So the AI stepped in and started doing all the, the, the video edit cuts and splicing in the music and everything else and building the entire video all automatically. So what's his job going to be? If AI is doing all of that work, all of the quote-unquote creative structure, maybe Bud Light should have thought about using AI, um, <laughs> you know, what, what's, what's that person going to do for a job now, right? Are they going to go start programming AI? Right. Well, what point does AI start programming AI? And, and see, and this is this is the problem that we've had with technology. Yes, technology increases productivity. So if we look over time, productivity is growing. We are produce. We are becoming more productive because of technology. And this and, and Brent will tell you. You know, Brent's been in radio since it was the Morse code days. Well, back in the 1900s. Yeah, back in the 1900s. They would, you know, strap a piece of music to a pigeon and fly it to other people, and they would read the music. I That's... went to school with Marconi. <laughs> but Brent will tell you, back in, back in the day, um, you know, producing a radio show required numerous people. It, 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 it wasn't a, a two-man show to do audio. Of course, they weren't even doing video back then. They were just doing music, right? That was a, that was a whole production just to do that. And now you've got one person producing a show that has not only audio commentary, but also video commentary all at the same time. And we do that. We're able to do it. Brent and I are able to produce this show every day, just two of us, which is doing something that it used to take a whole team of people to do. That's productivity. So we're becoming much more productive. The question is, is what does that mean for the future of the economy as Technology continues to displace human workers. Just something to think about. Be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, just talking a little bit before the break about productivity increases and the impact of technology. And, th and this has implications on the economy because again we require people to work and to produce things in order to earn a paycheck so that they can then consume and if technology displaces and, and begins to, and, and so far technology has you know obviously increased our capacity to produce more but there's still a lot of work that is done at higher end levels right i mean it's you know up to this point whether you like them or not, journalists had a job. Up to this point, whether you agree with them or not, musicians had a role. And you can go through all, 
you know, different forms and facets of, of every job and say, well, you know, these jobs are important and airline pilots, as an example. Obviously, that very important job to fly people from point A to point B, right? Get them there safely. These are all jobs that artificial intelligence can potentially replace. Now, personally, you know, I'm opposed into getting into a robo-taxi. <laughs> you know, I just don't trust a car with no driver to get me safely from point A to point B, but I'm old-fashioned, right? I was growing up with horse and buggies and at least knew the horse knew where it was going. But robo-taxi's not so sure. But that's just me, I'm, and I'm sure there's a whole generation of people coming up that have no problem jumping into an artificially in, 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 an artificial intelligence-driven vehicle, airplane, helicopter, etc., and they'll fly, fly, drive, transport from point A to point B with no problem, no concerns about a robot doing the work. But this is how we transition over time. Right? This is, this is how things change. The question becomes, and again, I don't have, I'm not saying I have the answer, right? I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying this is bad. This is just something I'm pondering right now. Because when we take a look at wage growth, productivity, economic growth over time, and you start replacing a lot of, and artificial intelligence is allowed to replace a lot of these jobs, and, and you start thinking about what job, right? What job? cannot be replaced by artificial intelligence. What job cannot be replaced with artificial intelligence? And when I say artificial intelligence, that also includes robotics, right? I can have artificial intelligence that can, you know, write, a journal, write an article for me, right? And so I can go on to chat GPT and say, write me an article about the economy and it will do that, right? So that doesn't require any robotics. But when you combine artificial intelligence with robotics, which we already have robotics, now think about what job cannot be replaced. Neurosurgery. No, that can, that can be replaced. And so it becomes very challenging to find that job that is safe from technology. Now, I'm not making the case, just by the way, as when when computers first started coming out, my dad was like, "That's gonna that's the the end of the world, right? It's gonna computers are gonna take away everybody's jobs." It did replace a lot of jobs. He was very early in saying that, but it did wind up replacing a lot of jobs. Like I said, you know, Brent and I, because of the use of computers, and we're surrounded with them in our studio right now, we can do a show that used to take five, six, seven, eight people to do a show, right? Lowers payroll cost, increases profit margins, makes everybody more efficient and productive with their time. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But what about those people, right? And so this is why we have a lot of people that are, you know, angry about the, the wage gap, right? The wealth gap. We have a, a lot of Americans that are living on less than $60,000 a year in income. And that's barely sustaining, if it is even sustaining, just a, a very basic standard of living in the U.S. So as we start thinking about, you know, the economy and, and, and I'm, I'm going to pull this back around to investing, so just bear with me one second. So as we think about where the economy is going in the future and 
more importantly about the impact of technology and artificial intelligence and the changes because it's going to be a phenomenal revolution with artificial intelligence. There's going to be investment opportunities galore coming out of artificial intelligence. You know, this is going to be akin to the Industrial Revolution of the early 1900s to the, you know, the, the, the uh, kind of the invention and, and the dawn of the Internet that connected everything. And artificial intelligence would be the next revolution in the economy and in society and business. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change everything. It's going to change the way that we communicate, the way we talk, the jobs that we have, all those things. And there's going to be new opportunities that we can't even fathom right now that will open up because of artificial intelligence. So I'm not saying that artificial intelligence is going to just replace every job and nobody will have a job. It will open up new opportunities. And so the one thing that we have to look at as investors is where those trends are going, what companies, and this is the point of the conversation. Again, I'm not making statements here. I'm just pondering out loud with you, trying to start a thought process for us to be working on as this thing, as these things come around. Because again, Microsoft even said in their announcement that AI is going to be a major driver of revenue for the company. So first things first is own oh, Microsoft. But one thing that we need to be thinking about is where are those investment opportunities going to come from with artificial intelligence? How can we capitalize on that? But that also has an impact on other areas of the economy that may not be for the positive. So those are areas that we are going to want to avoid. There will be negative fallout in the economy from artificial intelligence. There will be industries that will go away because of artificial intelligence. There will be jobs that will go away because of artificial intelligence. Not today, not tomorrow, but these are the investment trends we have to start thinking about over the next few years as this develops and as it becomes more ingrained in our life. Of course, there's gonna be lots of concerns about these things, right? We already have a very intrusive amount of technology in our lives now. Alexas and ring doorbells and everything else, right? Those are, are basically collecting. We have so much stuff that's collecting information on everything that we do so we can provide the convenience of picking up your phone and your phone making recommendations about stuff that you weren't even thinking about buying that said they, the phone says you need to buy now, <laughs> right? Didn't even know I needed that. Well, apparently I do. I'll order that. Looks good. I don't have money for it. That's okay. He'll give it to me on credit. But these are the things that we need to think about. They'll be good. They'll be bad. There'll be opportunities and there will be losses. But it's going to be a very interesting and dynamic change. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to live long enough to see the eventual evolution of all this. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. But... You know, it's going to be a fascinating change over the next 20 years about how things change, for the better or for the worse. And there'll be a lot of money to be made in these ideas. And, and so the trick is going to be finding those companies that are leading the way and 
buying those companies early that are going to be the dominant players in their space. But again, we can also invest in companies that are mature that are also leading the way in that space. Again, Microsoft, Apple, others. It's going to be a game changer. So it's just something, again, just it's, it's just a, a pondering at the moment, something that we're, we're throwing around, but something to think about. And there'll be lots of debates on this, right? There's going to be a lot of conversations about who's right, who's wrong, the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, there, there's always that debate about everything. And the reality is, is that nobody knows how this eventually turns out, but it's definitely coming. And it's something that we have to start thinking about as investors. And look, McDonald's is a good example of this. McDonald's had a uh, McDonald's CEO says consumers are starting to push back on higher burger prices. Well, not surprising because when you start, you know, forcing minimum wage to be $22 an hour in California, as an example, well, that cost has to go up. When inflation goes up, costs have to go up. And there's a point like with McDonald's, whose sales haven't grown at all in five years and trades at a nine times price to sales, which is ridiculous, that eventually they're going to have to start adopting more technology. And again, you know, in Fort Worth, they've opened up a McDonald's now that is entirely automated. So what happened to all those jobs, right? The, the good thing is, is that you've got a fully automated McDonald's to help bring down cost, but it comes at a cost. And these are the things that we have to keep looking for because that is an impact on the economy, right? All these people that were working at McDonald's for a living wage, right? Demanding a living wage. Now they have no job. So again, positives to the trend, but there's also negatives that have to be considered, economically speaking. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. We'll be back, of course, with tomorrow's show. Uh, be sure you get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest daily market commentary is already published. It's on the website now, so you can go get that. Make sure you're subscribed. We email that to you every morning at 7.30. Our latest newsletter is on the website as well, but we'll have an update for that this weekend. And, of course, as always, subscribe to this channel. We appreciate you. Click that little bell icon so you're notified. And don't forget to subscribe to our Before the Bell channel because that is where we post our three minutes on markets and money every day, keep you updated on what the markets are doing and what to expect. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.